Okay, welcome everybody. This is uh, Jim Barton and Reverend Abigail Conley, and we're here for another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. And we are talking this um, end of the Holy Week, the day before Easter, the day after Good Friday. And um, we're going to talk about the scripture that basically talks about the end of Jesus' life. We're going to do it a little bit differently than what we've done. Oftentimes we do scriptural uh, uh, podcasts. We talk about a big, giant part of scripture, and then we try and kind of condense it down. Mm -hmm. In this case, we're really only going to talk about two two sections of the scripture. And the first comes from Matthew um, 26, and it has to do with when Jesus is taken captive by the Romans to be taken off to be executed. And in that passage, um, they come out to get him, and uh, the disciples uh, respond by drawing their swords like they're going to fight for a minute. And Jesus sort of scolds the disciples and says, quote, this is a, starting in verse 53, do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So that's the end of the first passage. So the point being that Jesus sort of says everything that's going to happen has to happen. And then we're going to talk about just the very, very end as after Jesus has um, given up his uh, last words and um, the... The end of Jesus' life is described this way in, uh, we're in Matthew 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And that's the end, that's what Jesus, that's the sort of the end, when Jesus has given up his spirit at the end of his life. Um, and so those are the two passages that we're going to focus on uh, today. Um, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Abby to talk about her response to that. Um. I think it is very interesting to talk about Jesus' death. Neither Jim nor I, nor I would say Chalice as a whole, are people who are invested in Jesus' death as a means of salvation. Um, and for me personally, I believe in a God of life, not of death. So to say that it is through death that we are saved, through death that we are somehow reconciled to the world, is just appalling on so many levels. Um, we are resurrection people, not people of the tomb. But I, I kind of love this in between few days because we live in a culture that doesn't make space for grief. It doesn't make space for mourning at all. I mean, you might get two days off work, um, maybe a few hours to go to a funeral of a friend, even a good friend. If a parent dies, you know, maybe you get a full week, but there's no ongoing, we have a way of coping with this, dealing with this, anything. Um, or talking about the difficult things of our lives. I think as a pastor, that's especially something that we struggle with um, in narrating our life as Christians, because so many churches are all about, well, Jesus makes your life better and happy and shiny and wonderful. And it's like, you know, a lot of this is about the really hard stuff and someone to walk with you through really hard stuff. So you get this story where Jesus says, yeah, like, you want legions of angels to come and stop this and set about something new? We could do that. But instead, we're going to go to death, and we're going to go through days of wondering if this is really the end. And we're going to sit in grief and mourning, and we're going to do it as a church in real time for hundreds and hundreds of years later to just sit and wait and to say, yeah, there's a whole bunch broken. There's a whole lot that we don't know what to do with. 
and somehow do that in hope with Jesus. I have a I have a friend who, you know, um, in some past time of political conflict, when I was like, things are just as bad. I can't believe how bad things are. And he said, um, in 1968, the Democratic National Convention ended in a riot. Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King were both assassinated, and the Tet Offensive occurred. And he sort of reminds you that, like, <laughs> dude, things have been bad before. Mm -hmm. um, and this reminds us as Christians that things have been bad before. And really, really, really bad. Um, you know, it's interesting. This is the... This Holy Saturday is the day that Christ wasn't on earth, right? It's the, if you think, if you take the, I'm not sure what version of Christology right. you take, but, but that's the, interesting, like that's a, right. uh, this is the day that the world lived in absence of Christ, mm -hmm. right? If Christ existed forever, like in John and all that right. business. So, um, and I also think it's funny because um, when we want to obsess on the story of Jesus and we want to talk about each phase of Christ's suffering, for our friends who like believe that um, um, you know Jesus had to suffer for the sins of the world, kind of thing, like Jesus had to like sort of pay back all the sins of the world. Right. The details of the suffering are very important. Right. Um, but this is another really important detail: the detail of the grieving, the yeah. detail of taking the time and being with grief. Right. And one of the the tenets of Christianity that is deeply embedded in my own faith that you've heard me talk about a lot is cooperation with the divine will. That it's not that God does this thing apart from us, but that we act with God to do these things. And we talk about that often with justice, with bringing about the kingdom in this place, that it's not some far off thing, it's at hand, it's immediate yeah. here. Um, but in the same way, there is, for me, an idea that God's heart breaks with the world mm -hmm. and breaks up what we do to each other and breaks with the parents losing children in Syria and um, the people being put in concentration camps in Chechnya yeah. in 2017. I know. And this is an invitation into that part too. Right. This is an invitation into that grief, into that mourning. Um, because that's part, that was part of the life of Christ. Right. That's part of the life of God. And therefore that's part of the will of God. And letting ourselves off the hook for that um, so damages our faith and I think diminishes what we invest in as people. There's something that I think is very, very strange that you and I have talked about before that, you know, when someone dies, a church knows what to do. Right. Like, we organize the food, we show up to the funeral, we send cards. Like, there's right. a very real, like, yeah, like, we got this. Right. Thank um, you. And it's something that secular worlds do not know how to do. Right. Like, it's like, oh, no, we died, you know, somebody died, what do we do? And it's like, yeah, no. And the term celebration of life, when we do that, it's like, no, 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 no. If anybody throws me a celebration of life, I promise I will come back and haunt you. Worse than a flat tombstone? Yes. Okay. Even worse than a flat tombstone. Right. I have very strong opinions on that. <laughs> this is true. Um, well, and I think that, I think that is, you know... Um, you know, as progressives who know many people that are pretty anti-church, mm -hmm. I think that this is one of those areas where I do think, I agree with you, I think the church can help. Yeah. I think it's something that the church has a responsibility to be mindful of, and I think it is mindful of. I think mm -hmm. um, um, grief is a part of what we, what we live with. Yeah. I think, too, you think about um, 
in this passage right before Jesus says, you know, oh God, my God, why, you know, you know, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. And I think, to me, that really speaks to some of those people you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you're a gay man in Chechnya and you're being escorted into a concentration camp, mm-hmm. how do you not just feel forsaken? Yeah. If you are, you know, we will spend the millions of dollars to send in cruise missiles into Syria, but we won't accept refugees from Syria. Right. How do those people not feel forsaken the way that Jesus felt forsaken? I mean, even I lost my five-year-old to cancer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that is an utter, horrible, forsaken feeling. And I think it is, it's even more some of those things that we experience as middle-class, pretty well-off people. Yeah. That feels even more forsaking because in Syria, in theory, people could decide, hey, we're going to make this better. Right. And when you get some of those intangible, right. how did this happen? And maybe that is Syria. Maybe that is that there's so much going on here. Who knows? Right. So the only person left to cry out to is God. Yeah. Um, but we need that because how do you celebrate without mourning? How do you celebrate... Um, without the realization that this maybe wasn't this this didn't have to be um, we talk about how the the program we do for the children worship and wonder has this question where the storyteller says could I leave out any part of the story and be the same and I think grief is a part of the story yeah and you can't leave it out or it won't be the, the story won't be the same right I mean, for us who are sitting here on Holy Saturday and, you know, we'll get up, you and I will be at church mm-hmm. not long after dawn in the morning um, in hope of the resurrection. Part of the truth is, if there's not death, there is not resurrection. Right. So if there's not this horrible pain, if there's not all of these horrible things that we rehearse during this week and remember during this week, you don't get the good stuff. Yeah. Well, and the good stuff doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah. And I think it's more than just like if you put your hand on something cold and then into something lukewarm, it feels hot, kind of like. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just a matter of needing contrast. Right. I don't think this is just the blue and gold or black and blue, whatever dress. Right. I don't think this is just a matter of contrast. I think it's a matter of authenticity of experience. Yeah. And I think the church can help lead us through some of the hardest authentic experiences we go through. And transform us in the process. I think that's the difference between a contrast that, okay, you see now how amazing this is versus something that is gut-wrenching and terrible that you get pulled through it and are different and better for it on the other side in some way. Change happens, right? Transition is inevitable. Right. Right. And uh, transformation is the goal. Right. Right. That's what we've been saying in the region. That's what, and I think that's true for us as people. If if we are mindful and address our world in a faithful way, then we can be not just, we can go through more than just transition, we can go through transformation. More than just resuscitation, but resurrection. Right. All right. Well, maybe that's a good place to cap things off. Um, Any final comments before we get out? No. Wait in hope. Wait in hope. All right, until next time, cheers.